He is a Maya and ancient wisdom scholar. Roberto has been internationally recognized as the most eloquent, accessible contemporary author of cultural diversity. He founded the company Cultural Wisdom in 1998 and is an award winner speaker, trainer, and clinical psychologist. Some of the awards received by Roberto are the National Award for Community Development from the Department of Health, the Distinguished Mounted Mounted Medallion Award from the National Indian Health Board for Roberto's work in Indian health, the Cesar Chavez Award from National Migrant Education, the Federal Award from Administration on Aging, the Humanitarian of the Year from the International Medical and Educational Trust of Columbia, Missouri University, and the Illinois Association of Agencies and Community Organizations for Migrant Advocacy Award. Wow, he has done so much in his life. It's, it's just uh, unbelievable. You are listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. Mm-hmm. And I'm Taz. Well, Paula, after going to Roberto's website, I must have sat for hours thinking what he has written in his special articles. There is so much depth in his words. Roberto is the author of two books, Eternal Wellsprings and Simayas de Esperanza, which means Seeds of Hope, that can be purchased in the bookstore on Amazon, Barnes, and Noble, and many online bookstores. He has been a columnist with India, Indian Country Today, the nation's leading American Indian news source. He's been interviewed for a feature article from Touch Center Point News, and his newsletter, which is published three times a year, combines interviews with Jungian analysts and a four-month calendar of courses and conferences offered by more than 701 institutes across the U.S., and in Switzerland, Canada, and South Africa. In one such interview named When Hope Makes Every One of Us Relevant to the Circle, the interviewer stated, Young valued the storyteller. And believe me, by the end of our interview today, Robert Roberto's gifts of in-depth stories brings to life the wisdom we'd all love to carry home with us to share with our dear ones. Thank you well, for having I, me. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> well, I, I got to experience a little bit of your uh, magical ways when uh, oh, my friend Maria Cordova invited me to to meet you and listen to you one evening. And it was just the little bit that I got to experience was magical, Roberto. Thank you so much. Likewise, I was so touched by your presence, by your participation, by your heart, by the way you connect with other people across cultures and across languages. So I was very mm-hmm. touched by you too. And Roberto, he uh, plays the guitar, and um, by your music you touch people. I mean, you touch people many ways. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, one of the qualities that the Mayas emphasize is the quality of connecting, the quality of engaging those 
around us. And the only way you can do that is like you know, like you do it, by being present, by being in your heart and staying with your heart. That's one of the most challenging things you will find in your life. But once you get used to it, it becomes your way of being, the way of the heart. El camino del corazón, they say in Spanish. Following a path with a heart. And one of the biggest challenges is that in America, you're going to find out that people think a lot, but they don't feel that much. So our challenge is to drop from the head to the heart. I know. If you're not in the heart, uh, the head goes to judgment. <laughs> Immediately. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly right. And it is very safe. That's why people take refuge there. But it is the safety net of the coffin. Thinking happens also at the level of the heart. But it is a very different thinking. The Mayas will greet each other by saying, Him la ketch. Him la ketch meaning you are my other me. Oh, you are my other me. So from the moment that you look at another human being and you hold that thought in your head, you're like, oh my God, I really don't care, don't like myself. But then you're like, how couldn't I like myself? There must be something that I like right here. There must be something that I can connect because that's yourself within and without yourself. And if there's a mistake, if there's an abuse, if there's a problem... Then you say, you know, it's my other self that's doing this. Uh, or me has your other self that's doing this to you. At the end, it's only one universal self that unites us all. And that is the spirit. So for the Mayas, the perspective is spiritual. And the spirit tells us that we are all living beings. We all feel, we all aspire for joy and to compassion. We all aspire to fulfillment, from the little flowers that you see out there in the little garden to the most majestic of the mountains that provide shelter to so many of us. So everything in life, every little creature is reaching somehow, due to the flow of life, to achieve their fulfillment and their flourishing And then you will see two people, the ones who are in touch with that and following it, and there's a certain joy and a celebration and energy, and the ones who are turning their back to that or who are blocking it from happening. And those are the ones who tend to be disconnected from life. Those are the ones who tend to be disconnected from their own heart. And in a certain way, they are suffering. They are suffering from not being who they are. Now, I have a question for you, Roberto. Yes. Were you always this way? I mean, have you always... Oh, my God. Yes. I remember that as a little kid, I was kind of like this, and then I went to school. (laughs) And uh, all real meaningful learning sometimes goes out the window the moment you step into the school. And the reason for that is that they think that they have to engage just the brain. And that's why traditional healing and traditional... Teaching was you in the world, and your world has your classroom. You go and get wet in the water. You go and climb the tree. You go and experience the diversity of life. And because I was not getting that, and as a matter of fact, I was getting very different messages, and people were looking at me uh, in a certain way because I was not really fitting in. 
that my sweet mother, I, w I was born here in California, she told me, Roberto, we're going to have to send you to somebody who can really connect with you and show you your own ways. And that was my grandmother. So they shipped me all the way to Mexico. And I arrived over there. I was a little bit more confused because when I asked my mama, what am I, who am I? Uh, her first answer was, tu eres mi hijo, you're my son. And I said, yes, but what am I? <laughs> and then <laughs> she had... She had had her own experience growing up in Mexico, where in her case, when she was not doing something right, some people would tell her, no seas India, don't be an Indian. So basically, the assumption was that Indian who will keep you not being smart. So when I asked her, what am I? She wanted to tell me, you're, partner, you're Indian, mijo. Tu eres Maya, tu eres Tolteca. Uh, she told me, you're from Spain. <laughs> you're descendant from Spain. You're Hispanic. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, well, thank you, Mama. So when she sent me to Mexico, there was this lady dressed in white, you know, regalia, and she had her guarachas, her sandals, and long braids, total Indian. And she comes to try to hug me, and I kind of move away. And then Mama tells me, go and hug your grandmother. So I'm like, oh, she's my grandmother. I'm like, yeah, okay. So my grandmother comes, and she hugs me, and then I look at her, and I tell her, Grandma, and she says, ye? And I said, Grandma, we're from Spain. <laughs> and she told me, thanks for the tip, mijo. And she looked at my mama. What have you been teaching? No wonder he's so confused, my dear son, here. And it was actually my grandmother who got me back in touch with my roots. But at the same time, she got me in touch with my heart. Because I found that our roots are the way we connect with our heart. And some people are very fortunate because they have teachers, they have mentors, they have guides who help them embrace their ancestral culture. They are very fortunate, you know. And I was one of those fortunate kids. And I remember then my grandmother giving me long explanations about our history, our background, our purpose, our language. I used to tell her that I would get confused because my babysitter, she was Japanese. She spoke to me in Japanese. My father only spoke English. And my mama only Spanish. So every time I needed to connect with people, you kind of had to assess what language they were speaking. And she told me, oh, okay, Roberto, don't get confused. I will teach you Maya and I will teach you Toltec. And Toltec is the language of the Aztec people, you know, the ancient Mexicans. It's called Nahuatl. So my beautiful grandmother was my teacher for Nahuatl and Maya. Oh, wow. You and she really was the one who, who, who taught me what it is to live connected to your heart, regardless of what happens in the world. And way into her 90s, she was the traditional healer of her community, you know, and I was her helper. So I got to see her interact with so many different kinds of people. And the first thing that she will assess is, let me see how is their heart. ¿Cómo está su corazón? And then she will check the heart, too. And, and her first questions were, ¿Cómo está tu familia? Are you connected with your family or with your loved ones? How is that connection? Is it strong or not? You know, the Lakotas here in the States, they say, Miyamote Oyasin, to all of my relations. Because I don't live alone or isolated. I'm connected. Everybody's connected. 
and being mindful of that connection is what makes the big difference. So I saw my my grandmother act as a person of power, as somebody who had an unbreakable heart filled with compassion and wisdom for herself and for others. And I did remember, you know, to ask her as a, as a kid, were you always like this, Grandma? And then she told, and she told me, oh, no, Roberto, there was a time that I lost my heart. It can happen. You lose your heart. And I said, I could never imagine seeing you losing your heart. And then she told me, well, it happened during the revolution. During the Mexican Revolution, she had just gotten married and had this beautiful three children with her and her husband. But because they had not taken any sides, they were just cultivating the little land out there in the middle of nowhere in Mexico. Uh, uh, different groups would come and try to recruit my grandfather. And then she said, no, 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 no. He's a family man. He's a family man. He's dedicated to here. So finally this group came and said, no, no, he has to be with us or he dies. And they hanged him and he died. And then my grandmother left with her three small children way up into the forest. And a scorpion bit her smallest child, still in arms. And she desperately tried to save him and then went to the closest village. But when she got to the village, the baby had passed away. And mm. then she went into such a clinical depression that she couldn't move. It's catatonia, you know. You don't move, you don't speak. And she still had two other kids to raise. So this elder lady took her in and took care of her for several months and fed her properly, looked out for her, and said that she would eventually come out. And this was the traditional healer back there in that village. So little by little, my grandmother comes out of her depression and joins this lady in the healing there and learns many, many of the things that she would eventually became would become very famous for helping people using those traditional healing techniques. And the first thing, of course, she wanted to learn is how to cure the bite of a scorpion. And uh, I asked her in another occasion, how many people have you healed? And she says, oh, I have lost count, but I can give you the number 42. And I said, 42 what? 42 small children that I have saved them from beaten, being bitten by a scorpion. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm like, and she says, yes, my path of pain led me to my path of compassion. At times you have to know pain so that your heart will crack open. And through that crack, basically, you will be able to connect with others, but you have to make that initial effort. So not every heartbreak has to be a breakdown. And then her last words to me, she told me, Roberto, never, never forget, a broken heart has more room for love. (laughs) A broken heart has more room for love. You know, and I'm like, wow, that really transformed my perception because I used to think that it was because of pain that people would just break down and disconnect, whatever. But she was turning everything around. She was even telling me, even in the midst of the worst pain, there's still an opportunity to reconnect with yourself, with life, and with others. But for that, you have to make the choice. We have to make that choice. And growing up with her, I became very accustomed to being connected to my heart, to my feelings, to the people around me, and to that kind of way of life. 
until I got sent back, you know. So then I had to learn to navigate. How do I still preserve myself oh. connected and navigate the turbulent waters at times of this modern world? Was that a shock to you when you came back? Yes, it was, actually. You know, but at least I had a lot more tools then that I could rely on to reconnect. If people were giving me the evil eye that used to send me into anger and violence. I learned with my grandmother to visualize a dream catcher. <laughs> and the dream catcher would be holding all of that negative energy from reaching my heart. And then I would just focus on feeling my own heart and my own feelings of love every morning to connect with that and then to project this outside of me and not giving anybody the power over my own energy. Because this was another agreement that I made with myself and with my grandmother. And this is the path of the Toltec for her. And she told me, you as a human being have to take responsibility for the energy that's within you. You're the only one ultimate responsible for your own energy, Roberto. Use it wisely. So whatever happens, I go back to that basic agreement that I made. I'm responsible for how I handle the energy that's within me. Now, you're, you uh, you know, just being around you a little bit, I know that um, some of the healing that you do for others are, oh, comes through stories a lot. Did your grandmother tell the uh, stories for healing purposes also? Yes. As a matter of fact, speaking... Stories is a very natural way of the Maya people to this day to communicate. They uh, rather tell your story than to give you a rule or to give you a consequence. And this is the teaching of the elders. Basically because she was uh, uh, an elder, when, when I came to her, her way of teaching was not so much correcting. That was left to my mama, you know, giving consequences here and there. But my... My grandmother was a lot more reflective. And if you're a lot more reflective, you rather tell a story so that people can grasp what they need to get at that encounter. And that's why the way of the teachers across the ages and across all cultures, it is paramount to focus on the story. Because ultimately, you, me, and everybody who's listening, they are living right now a story. And they are telling themselves about their story, even if it is subconsciously. Their mind is constantly making the story of our lives. And the saddest part is that some people say, you know, life sucks and then you die. And I'm like, wow, that's a pretty horrible story to be part of. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and then I say, my grandmother says that every breath you take, it's a new life. And it's an opportunity for a new step. Every breath you take. And if you become very mindful about that, then the power of choice is with us at every single moment of our lives. And we can change the story that we do not like. And part of the art of living is having the ability to look at ourselves squarely in the eye and say, this is something worth preserving. And then there's another part. This is something worth overcoming and getting rid of. And that's why decision, you know, the word decision literally means to cut out. It comes as the opposite of incision. Incision means to cut in, and decision is to cut out. 
And the only way you know how to use this knife effectively is if you get the whole story. If you are in touch with your capacity as a story maker and as a story uh, thinker, you get to have this dialogue between these two stories and then you say, this is worth preserving, this is not worth preserving, this is worth overcoming, this is worth transforming. You work with traumatized children and teenagers, so I imagine as you're talking, you you are working with them through story and through song. That is true. And one thing that I have found, uh, and this is not just here in the States, I've been fortunate to be practically all over the world. And when I was in Africa, I saw that their traditional storytellers were some of their natural healers. And they were incorporated into the removal of trauma. Sometimes entire villages who have lost their their parents, all of the parents were dead, and the, like Rwanda, you know. And they needed to, to restart their life again. And you cannot start life without story or sound that's harmonic, music. Every mother knows this naturally. You just give a little baby to mama, the first thing they know how to do is and it is through that melody, through that sound, and through their heart, they put their heart towards you, that they get you back into the center of life, and the center of balance, and the center of protection. So there cannot be deep healing without proper sound, vibration, compassion right there, and also by helping you process what do you tell yourself in your head. You know, the, the, the most profound conversation people are going to ever have is the conversation they are having with themselves. That's the one. Now, I, I would, you were talking about Africa. I don't know if that was that particular um, time, but I heard a story that the Navajo gave you something to um, give to their brothers in Africa. And yes. Could you tell was, that story? Oh, yes, of course. This is one of the um, things that deeply moved me. Uh, one of the things that the Navajo people do is that they hold this rattle. And there are different communities of the Navajo nations, one of the largest you know, among indigenous people around the world, the largest one in the United States, Navajo. And in different parts of their land, they cultivate to this day the corn, you know. And and they tend to save, or, or whatever harvest, they save the best seeds of the harvest and they put them in a rattle. And those rattles, they consider them the sacred rattles. And they are given to specific people for caretaking. So if time goes by and if there's... Uh, you know, any drought or if there's a flood, if there's a disaster, a fire, and all hope disappears from the community, they make a big circle, and then the rattle keepers, the ones who hold that tradition, they show up at the circle, they sing a beautiful song with them, and then they break the rattle, and they release the seeds, the best seeds of hope for the community. And when I was able to, to to go to Rwanda and I had met with some of my friends of the Navajo Nation, they provided me one of their oldest rattles, you know. And we took that rattle all the way to Rwanda. 
And as we were doing some of this work, uh, we passed this rattle and explained to the people there that this was in solidarity from the brothers and sisters from across the the ocean who were responding to their needs, and this rattle was sacred. And the the way that we were going to be using that rattle is that each one that was going to be holding it was going to speak from his or her heart, and these words that would be coming from their hearts were the new good seed, were the seeds for the world of the present and the future. And we saw many, many, many of those young men and women really cry and open up and use that sacred rattle. What a beautiful story. Thank you. I know when I I, I traveled to Bali, um, they have uh, puppet shows. Yes. And the, the puppet shows are stories to help the community. It's like it's stories of learning. So that's yes. their method. So it's still a story. It is so. And what happens is that the puppet allows you to put it out there and you feel safe. To this day, when we work with small children, you know, whenever they're telling a story, sometimes it's much easier if you provide them with puppets. And many good psychologists and psychiatrists who work with small children, they rely on this technique, you know. And, of course, you see it right there, providing them with the opportunity to talk of themselves in second or third person, and sometimes without their, their awareness of what's happening and what they would like to see into their lives. Now, you've traveled to um, Mexico and um, visited the orphanages there. Um, yes. Uh, it, this this was started uh, five years ago. And uh, we had seen many reports, particularly at the border, with, with Ciudad Juarez and all of the, the enormous pain that has afflicted the community and the women who have been murdered right there. And then the concern was, what about the children? What about... Those orphan kids right there, we really have to reach out and help them. So with a group of good friends, we got on a bus, and we started right there in El Paso, and we went to Ciudad Juarez, and a wonderful network of therapists from there from uh, different schools, including Integro, who works with the Gestalt PhD programs in Mexico. They organize uh, research and tracking down all of these kids. And we were very fortunate because the Yaqui Indians and the Tarahumara Indians of northern Mexico, who still live in their ancestral land, they have this archaeological site. It's called Big Homes or Big Houses, called Paquime. And it was recently rediscovered. They found that in the middle of the desert, uh, this group of Indians, 5,000 years ago, have already built several major structures under the desert where they had flowing air and water. Water that they will use all year round and they have uh, places of ceremony, they had places of recreation, places of study and so forth. And uh, the United Nations declared it uh, a world treasure and gave, they gave a, you know, a few funds for its protection. But the real keepers of that tradition are the Yaqui Indians and the Tarahumara. So when they heard that we were making this massive effort to help all of these kids, they told us that they would participate in the healing ceremonies as well. 
And we did them right there in Pakime, in the ancestral mm-hmm. healing site. And it was so incredible to see them come very well prepared, each and every one of them, men and women and adults and young people. And they made this huge circle with the children. And they had made blankets boarded by made by all of the members of their tribe. And they would put these blankets on every single one of those kids in the night as they were getting cold in the desert. And that was for them to be able to feel the warmth and the love and the protection of their mother and of the people around them who loved them. And that's when I began to really awaken to the enormous wisdom of traditional communities because they have learned how to survive and how to heal Traumas that many of our mainstream systems that are individualistically based don't have a clue. Uh, The other thing that they had there were young people who knew that they were going to be reaching out to kids who have experienced trauma and had experienced loss. And every time that there was a kid who was having a hard time, they will appoint a young person right there to become his guide and mentor and helper right there. And they came wearing a specific necklace that told them, reminded them that that was their role and told the people around them that that was their capacity. They were there as caretakers of the brothers and sisters. Oh, wow. And they told me, energy is contagious. They have a lot of pain, and we will absorb part of their pain. And we're going to give in return love and compassion. That's what we do. Pain shared is pain reduced. Pain shared is pain reduced. And the traditional healers, they told me, Roberto, you're not here just to remove the trauma. I said, I'm not. They said, oh, that's only the beginning. They said, (laughs) what you're here is to give these children something more valuable than that. And I said, what's that? And they told me, give every one of these children their childhood back. Give them back their childhood. And as we were there, there were days of tears and crying, but then there were days of immense joy and laughter. And they told me, Roberto, you're not to leave until every one of these children had reclaimed their laughter. How long did that take? When you were working... Yeah, we were there for a month, and then every one of those children, they reclaimed their laughter. And I was very fortunate because even though I came back to the States, some of my colleagues, they decided to stay. God bless their souls. And five years later, they're still there. Five years later. And these are Mexicans and non-Mexicans, and these are people of faith and people who are non-believers, but they all have in common that they have great compassion for children, you know. And many of those youngsters are now being helpers in many, many of those projects, and they receive scholarships, you know, they are being trained in how to be a counselor, how to be a mentor, how to be a guide, you know. And it's amazing how those who have bared so much pain are usually 
the ones who are best equipped to respond to the pain of others when they find it. And they are not put off by that pain. They are not afraid of that pain. They have an incredible amount of courage and wisdom as to how to help. They not only help, but they know how to help. Roberta, when you're working with people, um, do you find the younger ones respond more readily than the older ones? That's or? usually the case, my sister. That's usually the case. And that blows my mind because the ones who usually get broken down first are the children. They are the most vulnerable, but they are also the most resilient. <laughs> they bounce back much faster. Hmm. It sounds to me like you're a student as well as a teacher. Um, That's exactly the case, my sister. Because if we don't have the capacity to relearn and learn constantly in our lives, that's where it gets boring. That's where we get close-minded. That's where we get judgmental. That's when we get separated. That's when apathy and despair, they take over, when there's nothing left to learn. Well, the more I live, the, lo- the more I know, of the larger amount of things I don't know. And that's fine. You know, even the Mayas, they told us, be careful with what you don't know, but be more careful of what you know. Because it is what you know that sometimes gets in the way of what you need to learn. And when I asked for clarification, my grandmother told me, well, sometimes you make up your mind about somebody. People who live together, they say, oh, I already know her. I already know him. And sometimes that person ends up talking to a stranger, and the stranger gets to see something new that's happening. And they have a beautiful dialogue about that, and you're like, wait a minute. I had this one already figured out. And you find out that no, as long as there is life, there is growth. There is opportunity for transformation, and transformation is constant learning and changing. So we have to keep our eyes open to ourselves and especially towards our loved ones. So we don't say, I know her. We say, I am constantly knowing her. It's a verb, knowing. It's not a known. It's knowing. Roberta, you said something about, you used a word at the beginning of our interview, himlaketch. Himlaketch, you said it beautifully. Him luggage, and that's you are my other me. Oh, I just love you, that. I yeah, I do too. I wanted you to repeat it again. I'm I'm questioning just after listening to you talk. Um, yes. Is there, like you said, you know, get out of your brain and go to your heart. Yes. And um, what is there? Is there? Um. A special mess method that yeah. you can do this with people more quickly than using a story, or is this the way to do it? Or I oh mean, yes, there, there, there are several ways, you know, and and each one can be as effective as the other one, you know. But in order for them to really maximize their food, this. Is based on each individual. So in the native culture, they do something really beautiful to this day, and that is the vision quest. When you're a young person, they ask you to go to the mountain, to go to the lake, to go to the ocean, to go to the forest, and spend at least a day, a full day in nature, in solitude. And not 
reading anything, not sending any email, not tweeting nobody, nothing electronic. You just go as part of nature. And you find out one thing, that we tend to move at a different rhythm, which it is not the rhythm of life. It is nature that preserves the rhythm of life. It is the sunrise and the sunset. It is the flow of the creek. It is the migration of the of the birds. It is the seasons in the leaves of the trees that remind you about time and space. So when you drop out of you know the noisy world and retreat into a sacred space, that's when you begin really to listen not only to the sound out there, but to listen to your own life, to listen to your own soul. And those moments are very precious. Another way that we have learned to reconnect with our own inner world is by paying attention to candles, the candlelight. That's why it is not by accident that every single temple that's traditional no matter which different deities they have represented, they all have a common element, and that is the candles. And all you have to do is to walk into a place that surrounds you with a lot of candles and quietness right there that immediately tune the frequency of your thoughts to a lower frequency of peace and calmness. And when the mind calms itself, the heart rises to your consciousness. And then there's other ways by which an individual who has spent time doing this comes to your presence and just being around them, it really calms your mind and it turns you back into what you're feeling in that moment. In the Indian ways, they call that person good medicine. And in India, when you get to sit down with that person, they call that experience darshan. Darshan sitting at one of my teachers, one of my mentors, one of my guides. When I was a very young person, I remember going to my mama constantly, Mama, Mama, and she would be like, ¿Qué quieres? ¿Qué quieres? And I would be, I already forgot it. <laughs> what do you want? She would tell me. And she would be like, good, because I have so much to do. And then when I would go to my grandmother, I would be like, Abuelita, Abuelita, and then she very calmly. Hola, mijito, and she will hug me, and then she will ask. And then she will listen so, so distinctly, as if she had all of the time in the world. And that immediately gave me a great sense of peace and calmness. Yes, being around her, she had that quality. She had that silence. So people around us sometimes have that quality that they help us reconnect with not only them, but with ourselves and with our heart. It happens as a rule as you mature more. That's why it's so important to have elders. But elders who are not depressed. Elders who are, who, 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 who are not fighting time. Elders who have accepted how to age gracefully. And that's something we have to do more of in America. Elders who are enlightened, elders who have gone from aging to saging, they have become sages. And these elders, they bring that breath, breath of fresh air, that calmness, that compassion, that experience. They have been there. They know. 
and they have something really valuable to share. So when you sit by one of these elders, their energy field, it's already the most beautiful environment to reach that inner silence, to listen to the heart. In all over Latin America and parts of Europe, no matter where you go, no matter how small the village is, they have little plazas. And in those plazas, they have benches. And in those benches, invariably, they have elders. And I remember as a young person, my grandmother used to send me regularly to the plaza. And I would tell her, Grandma, there's nothing to do. And she would tell me, yes, but they do it very well there at the plaza. <laughs> and then I will yes sit down, and the elders will literally be there yes sitting down. Not a little bench of elders. Each little elder had their own bench. So on Mondays I will sit on this bench, and it was Don Ramiro who was there, an elder. And in the Mexican community, you always give him his title, and his title is Don. Don, when they are elders, which means wise person. Don Ramiro. And Don Ramiro, he didn't really care who you were. If you sat at his bench, he would talk to you. <laughs> and he will share, not just from your life, but he will make memory, and he was a walking encyclopedia. He had traveled many, many different places, you know, and he planted in me the seeds of traveling and seeing the world. He will tell me stories of the 1910s and 20s, you know, as if they were just unfolding, and everything he told me had that ring of truth because he had been a witness to it. So I saw the immense beauty of, of of the wisdom of elders who will take time of their very precious short life now that they had and give it to me. That's why with the native culture, when you go and talk to an elder, they encourage you to take him something sacred. You give him, you know, a feather, you give him a bundle of sacred tobacco, or you give him something that you make with your own hands because it is an exchange. You say, I bring you this. Thank you for your time. Your time is precious. And there is that incredible relationship. Now we know that elders are the best connectors to teenagers. Teenagers, the ones that nobody wants to see. <laughs> it is the elders who have the incredible patience and compassion to say, you know, have I told you this story? And the teenager will say, yes, like... Seven times, Grandpa. And Grandpa will say, well, here it goes again. <laughs> they don't care if you lose track or not. They just know the story so well. And as they share it, you really enter that other domain where time disappears. And you are then in this timelessness. So if you are a teenager and you have an elder like this around you, you will not need Prozac. You will not need Soloff. You will not need any kind of psychotropic medication. What we need is each other. And we have different frequencies at which we move. The younger people, their heartbeat is very fast. As you get older, it slows down. When you're a little baby, you sleep most of the day. When you're an elder, usually you don't need that much sleep. So we tend to balance each other. Those days that I would go to the plaza and I would talk with Don Ramiro, most of the time I would just listen, I would get up. And I will be a little calmer than from the time I got to the bench. But when Don Ramiro will leave, he will be a little bit faster because energy is contagious. And we need that energy of the elder, and he needs the energy of the teenager to keep going because we're resources 
to each other. We are the medicine of each other. And that's why in this crisis in America, where we are seeing so many elders getting depressed and so many kids now in need of, you know, therapy and 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 so many things in their lives, what we are overlooking, what we are missing is rediscovering our human community and reconnecting to ourselves and with each other's. The more we see people of different backgrounds and different ages interacting with each other with kindness and compassion and with respect, the more resources we have, not only for success, that has been the song of America, but a new song that we have to learn to sing and fairly quickly, and that is resiliency. Resiliency. The ability to bounce back no matter what happens. We need that as much as we need success. Are you working with communities now? I work with communities, yes, because I have seen in my work that if you just work with a family, with individual, you're missing the the, the larger portion uh, of of uh, resources out there, and uh, that is community. From my perspective, there's four C's that we are to complete in order to be meaningful in our work as healers and as teachers, and here they go. They all start with the letter C. The first one is consciousness, that it is by growth of consciousness, expansion of consciousness, awareness, that we really get to begin to move in the right direction whenever there's a challenge. The second one is conduct, and that is units of behavior, habits. We build habits, and then we live in them. That's why it's so important to pay attention to the habits that we develop in early stages of our life. And that's why it's so important to learn how to build better habits in our lives. The third one is the one of culture. And culture is not ethnic culture alone, even though that's a very significant portion of culture, to to know your history, to know your language, to know your background, to know your values, your attitudes. All of that is covered under culture. But there is something more dynamic of culture, and that's what do we choose to cultivate. In my life, I know that I'm constantly cultivating things, so I better be aware of it and what is it that I am feeding and what I am not feeding. Like the old proverbial story of our native brothers tells us, we have two wolves, a good one and a bad one, and the wolf that at the end will be victorious is the one that we feed, which one we cultivate. So pay attention to what you cultivate. And last but not least is the sea of community. Uncommon unity is something that we are to constantly discover, renew, and reinvent. Rediscovering ourselves and discovering each other. The power of community is an untapped resource in America. We have to turn deeper into the nature of our communities. Because at the end, that's where we come from. And that's what we eventually all return to, our sense of unity, of those things that are really meaningful and valuable and things that are worth preserving. And that's why we have to use our consciousness to make this assessment and our compassion, another C, that's going to help us bring the best out of each one of these four domains, consciousness, conduct, culture, and community. Well, and I... 
in the United States, that's missing quite a bit. So Yes, yes it is. But we can see that our country is awakening right now. The young people are telling us, you know, we don't like a lot of how the structure is built. We want to reorganize it. Let's do it. But let's do it in a way that it benefits everybody at the circle, that every voice can be lifted and every heart can be heard. And in order to do that, we have to be willing to embrace not only those who look like me, but to embrace every single living being. And that has to do with our attitude. That has to do with our perspective. So this is a time of renewal. This is a time to turn our minds and our hearts to renewing our community. Well, the 11-11 celebration. Yes. 11-11 is an incredible day in history. And this, I'm saying it, basically from the perspective of the Mayas who have been, of all humans, the ones who have been paramount in measuring time. The calendar of the Mayas has been something that belongs not only to them, but for all humanity. Yes, like acupuncture developed in China, but it can help people even if they are not Chinese. It pertains to all of us. In the calendar of the Mayas, they told us the last year of their cycle, the Tsongqing calendar, it ends in the 21st of December 2012. But the countdown begins November 11, 2011. So it already kicked off. And what the Mayas were telling us is that at the end, we end up together. We end up together because we have learned to love our mother that, you know, they see as Mother Earth. And we are a lot more sensitive to our unity and to our diversity as humans. There's no other place we can go. This is it. This is our planet. We are alive. The planet is alive. And the ones causing the most harm to the planet right now is the human beings. So we have to do everything we can to get our act together and live in peace. Yes. Well, that was the best way to finish our show. Thank you so much for being with us. (laughs) Thank you. Let everybody know who we were listening to. Oh, we're listening to Roberto Danzi, and his website is robertodanzi.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay, and that's R-O-B-E-R-T-O and then Danzi, D-A-N-S-I-E. And I was just thinking what a great... What a great way to um, lift our holidays by getting in touch with your hemlock catch. And uh, just, you know what? Thank you, Roberto. It was a wonderful time with you today. Thank you, my sisters. A big, big hug to each one of you and to your loved ones. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.